Our first reading today comes from the book of Micah, which is actually just a couple pages back from Matthew. It's one of the last books in the Old Testament um, by our ordering. And Micah is a, uh, a wonderful book, um, and it's mainly, it's, I've heard many people say, uh, oh, Micah, I love that verse. And that's a way of kind of saying that Micah's got a verse that we really hang our hat on, and we're going to read that verse today. Um, and the rest of it uh, has a context um, that's deeper that we're not going to get into today. But the, the Micah verse that you will kind of catch up on is Micah 6.8. So we're reading Micah 6. Again, Micah is a prophet. The prophets are often going into places and saying, what you're doing is not what God wants you to do. And not, they're, they're not speaking a message of doom. They're speaking a message of hope. Even sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the doom and the conviction that prophets seem to have, but prophets always have a sense of hope, of stern warning to say, you are really not doing well, but God still has a plan for you. And we see that in this passage here today. So this is Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen to the word of the Lord. Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear, eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against his people. With Israel, he will argue. My people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. My people, remember what Moab's king Balak had planned. How Balaam, Beor's son, answered him. Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal, that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Shall I come before him with entirely burned offerings? With year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second passage comes from um, Matthew 5. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and this goes on for over two chapters, uh, or uh, just over, yeah, just around two chapters. It goes into chapter 7. If you have a red-letter Bible, this is uh, the point where most of the ink that they use to do the printing of the red gets used up in these next couple pages, and so you have a bunch of red pages where Jesus is speaking, um, basically giving a large sermon, a large teaching on... Um, what God uh, expects from us and what we should expect from God. This starts with this passage here, which is one of the more famous passages called the Beatitudes. And uh, so this is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. 
Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Almighty God, open our hearts, open our minds. May your word be found in my words. Amen. So this is one of the most popular and familiar passages. There we go. This is one of the most popular and familiar passages uh, that we have in the Bible. Um, and one that we are all relatively familiar with, the blessed R's, uh, the Beatitudes. It's so popular and familiar that it's typical, like most popular and familiar passages in the Bible, and that if someone said, what's that about? You would say, I know what it's about. And they say, tell me, and you say, I'm not really sure. And even if they said, what's the word Beatitudes mean? We'd say, I know what Beatitudes means. And then they say, well, what's it mean? And you say, it means be attitude. So the word beatitude means blessed, means joyous blessing. Um, it's even the, uh, and maybe you did know that, I didn't know that. It's just one of those things that we say in the church, like quick in the dead, and we all just assume. We all know what that means, right? And we never think about it. Um, the word uh, beatitude uh, is a, it's not in the Bible. It's a church word that we have attributed after the fact. Um, it comes from the Latin. And even the uh, Jack Kerouac, who was one of the first of the beat generation, so the beat generation uh, comes from a lot of different things. Jack Kerouac's the one who's credited of making that phrase, and he got it because he was a devout Catholic, and he wanted to find joy in the world, joyous blessedness. And so he beat had a lot of different connotations to it, but one of the things that he loved was that it was from beautify, beatitude, is that beginning of that. So the beatitudes are this beginning phrase, this, this beginning kind of litany of things of people who are blessed, people who should be um, receiving reward from God. And we look at it, and, we, and again, we kind of celebrate it, but it's really confusing. And we have different translations. The, the NIV or the King James that we're probably most used to say the blessed are. Um, the, uh, the Common English Bible that we just read said happy are these people. Neither of those are really great translations of, of the word. It's one of those Greek words we don't really have a straight translation of. Uh, probably a better way to think of it is enviable are. Like we should be envious of those people. Which makes this whole litany even more confusing. As I was saying with the kids, you get to the thing where uh, happy are those who mourn, happy are those who grieve, happy are those who are sad. That's very confusing. Happy are those who are sad. That's, they're opposites. And so it's not only uh, oxymoronic, they are contradictory. And so if we, if we recognize kind of the blessedness, the, the enviable are, then we can see that it's even more, it's, it's juxtaposing rather than contradicting. Jesus is taking this thing that seems like something we should be ashamed of. Seems like something that we would hide. And saying, no, that's okay. And so Jesus goes through 
this, this passage of things, blessed are the hopeless, because theirs is the kingdom of God. That's translated as meek uh, by a, in a lot of places. And meek, we, we say, the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, that seems like we don't want our rulers to be meek. We don't often think of our meekest rulers and think, wow, they're really great. Um, if you're making a list of top presidents, Jimmy Carter's not really top of the presidents, and he was pretty meek. He was a peanut farmer who, uh, who was instrumental, and in, he's been doing ministry for the last 40 years, and he's 90-some-odd years. He had brain surgery recently and then went back out and built another house. He's one of the most devout presidents we, that we've had, but he's definitely not one that you would think of. If you're going to have a battle royale of presidents, he would probably be out right away because he would go to shake their hands and he would be, then open up his Bible and start to pray for the person and then just get knocked on the ground and pinned because Jimmy Carter was meek. So we don't often think of that's the president we want. It's not a surprise that Jimmy Carter gets replaced by Ronald Reagan, a cowboy who is not meek because that's what we got tired of this meek guy. We wanted somebody who's different. So meek is not something that we lift up. Really, none of these are, are things that we lift up. We've got meek. We've got those who mourn, those who are hopeless, poor in spirit, those who have doubts, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which sounds like a great thing. I want righteousness to happen, but it implies that they lack righteousness. If you are hungry for food, it's not because you are sitting at Golden Corral with a giant plate of food. It's because uh, you are sitting outside of Golden Corral wanting to go inside. You're so hungry that Golden Corral is your best option. That you are someone who needs something. And so hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not even the, the connotation that we give it. Then there's three that are right in a row that seem like good ones. Those who show mercy, those who are pure in heart, and those who are peacemakers. But again, within the culture of what the people are looking for, what the people are asking for, that is not what they want especially as they're looking for Jesus as a Messiah. All of the people that Jesus is talking to, they're very excited because this is the one they've been waiting for. This is the Messiah who's going to save us. And he says, blessed are those who show mercy. And that's not what people are wanting because, again, they're not thinking Jesus is talking about them. They're thinking Jesus is talking about uh, they are the people who are enslaved. They are the God's chosen people. And Jesus is saying that uh, God is going to protect these good people and get rid of all the bad people. And so showing mercy to bad people is not what the crowds would want. Being pure in heart is not that big of a deal. Being a peacemaker in a time of war is not what people want. You have to imagine the sense of these people who've been, who they sense this, sense, this feeling of being persecuted, this feeling of being attacked, this feeling of being oppressed, and Jesus is coming along and saying, let's make peace. And that's not what you say to people who've been oppressed. That's not what you say. You say, let's have justice. Let's have revenge. Let's have payback. That's what we want. And so even these three things that we can uplift in this are things that wouldn't have been exciting things for people to hear. If you've ever seen the movie uh, uh, The Life of Brian, uh, it's a Monty Python movie. Uh, one of, uh, Terry Jones just passed away a couple years ago, or a couple weeks ago. Um, he was one of the, the five remaining um, uh, Monty Python members. They're a British comedy troupe. And they have this movie called The Life of Brian, which is basically uh, a telling of 
recognizing that Jesus exists in this world and Jesus is happening. At the same time, there's this other guy, Brian, that half the people confuse for the Messiah and they start following him. And in this, there's a scene where they're at the Mount of Olives in the Beatitudes. And Jesus is on the mountain speaking, but then they're in the crowd probably 200 yards back. And keep in mind, there's no uh, microphones or anything. And so Jesus is preaching and he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit. And way, 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 way back in the back of the crowd, you're just with these people who can't understand what Jesus is saying. Say, did he say blessed are the cheesemakers? Blessed are the meek? I don't think he means that because we've got plenty of meek people around here. And so you're getting this commentary of people who are misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. And it's actually pretty true to life, even, even true to now. So what is Jesus doing here? Now, we've all accepted it. Again, it's probably cross-stitched in your grandma's be- uh, house somewhere. It's a beautiful poem. But what does it mean? Jesus isn't uh, elevating what we should be. Jesus is commenting on what we are. All of these things are not only things that are not things that you would strive for. Oh, I really wish I could mourn. I really wish I was like those people who are hopeless. I really wish I was like those people who just have nonstop doubts. Because guess what? You are someone who mourns. You are someone who has doubts. You are someone who's hopeless. But all of these things are ways in which we suffer privately. We are people who mourn, but we, have, we grow up in a world that tells us to suck it up and get over it. Put some dirt on it and keep going. We're people who are told, especially within the culture of the church, that doubts are bad. And doubts are a lack of faith, and we don't have any time for that here. That people who mourn have a season of mourning, and then you need to just get on with life. That people who are hungry for spiritual uh, wholeness should be able to find it in all of the programs that we offer. And if you just came to Bible study or Sunday school, then you would be filled. It's not our fault that you aren't full spiritually. We're doing our part, so that's on you. Jesus is talking not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way, helping to identify the ways in which all of us suffer right now but none of us are willing to admit. The ways in which we struggle. Some of the things that we struggle with uh, in our modern context, two of the biggest things that we never talk about are struggles with uh, fertility, struggles with the ability to have babies. Uh, Based on the narrative of our culture, everyone has no problems having babies. Everyone who wants to have babies has babies. And people who don't have babies don't want to have babies. And that's just not the reality. But we don't talk about it because it's just not something you talk about. We also act like everybody who's married is happily married. And everybody who's not married, that's their problem. And they made mistakes, and it's a cautionary tale. And so if we were all, everybody is happy, or they made mistakes. And that's not the case either. Every marriage is work. Every relationship is work. Every day you get out of bed is work. If you don't have doubts, I'm not sure you're really thinking about it. Jesus is saying, blessed are you who have doubts. Not because you have doubts, but in the midst of your doubts. Jesus is taking away all of the narrative that would say, God will love you more when you get your stuff figured out. That it's all about how good you can be, 
how pious you can be, how full of spirit you can be, how full of mercy you can be, how full of peace you can be. But recognizing that sometimes the things that we struggle with the most are the things that we are the most hesitant to admit, even to ourselves. And Jesus is reminding us that you will get the kingdom of heaven, not because of what you did, but because of the one who gives it. That God is here to give rewards to all of us. And that it's okay to mourn because we all mourn. It's okay to have doubts because we all have doubts. It's okay to struggle in your relationships because we all struggle in our relationships. So stop defining yourself by your ability to to be good enough because you're not. And this isn't the end of the sermon. This is the beginning of the sermon. Now, it's not the beginning of this sermon, but it's the beginning of Jesus' sermon. I didn't want to make you panic there. I know I'm not quite done yet, but, uh, but, but Jesus continues on, and so we need to see this theme and check this theme. Jesus is not preaching a sermon where he's saying, you know what, you need to, keep being, you need to be better at this stuff, guys. God doesn't have any patience for you. This is a sermon that keeps saying, you know what, don't judge people, because that's not what this is about. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Trust that God is going to give you. Do you see these flowers, how pretty they are? You're worried about clothes. God gives clothes to these flowers. Don't you think he's going to give clothes to you? The whole point of this sermon is helping us to see that God loves you now, not later. Also later. But God loves you now, not when you're good enough to be loved. The second passage, the first passage that we have, uh, dovetails really nicely with this, the Micah passage. Again, it, Micah is a, great, is a great, really great verse. And that verse is, what does the Lord require of you? And it comes off to this, where Micah's going down this litany. So what should we do? Because it starts with God saying, you guys are really screwed up. Things are really bad. I'm not happy with you. And then the response is, so what should we do? Should we give a whole burnt offering, which is the typical response? Should we give 10% of our tithe? Should we give 20%? That's, a, that's all these caps. Should we give 100 rams? Should we give 50%? Should we give a whole mountain of oil? Should we give a million dollars? No. It's not about what we give. What does God require of you? It's not giving stuff. It's doing stuff. And what should we do? We should love, we should, we should do justice. That's different than justice. We should act justly. It's not seeking justice. It's not going out and saying, ah, you're going to pay for this. It's acting in a way that is fair, that is balanced, that is uh, helpful to people. Uh, th that word is uh, um, mishpat in Greek. The next word is chesed, or chesed, chesed if you really want to uh, clear out your throat. Uh, chesed is the, is the uh, Hebrew word for this, and that just means loving kindness, one word. So we say love, kindness, but it's different than that. Loving kindness is kind of the opposite of justice. Justice is do this. Loving kindness is base your stuff not on what's fair, but, but on love. And then the last one, halak. Halak is, I'm not very guttural today, halak. Walk humbly with God. So what does the Lord require of us? Be perfect? No, that's not one of the three. Act in a way that's just to people around you. Love kindness. Be filled with this loving kindness. And walk with God. When you do those things, it's not 
that uh, then God will love us. It's then we will be fulfilled. Then we will have a life that is not burdened by our failures, but a life that is instead filled with God's mercy and God's love for us. Today, does anybody, did anybody figure out what the title, the, sometimes my titles are, are, are little mysteries, little puzzles. Did anybody figure out what it is? What is it, what is it, Sharon? Yeah, that's right, it's a palindrome. I'm not talking about geese today. So if you look at it, it says, do geese seek God, or see God? And you read that backwards, it's do geese see God? I did that because today is also a pa- it's palindromic in terms of the, the date. It is 02022020. It's never going to happen again in a million years. Probably never going to happen again because it'll never be 220 or 2020 again. Uh, and it's also Groundhog Day. Now, Groundhog Day is, is known from the cultural parlance from uh, one of the best movies ever made, a movie called Groundhog Day. And the whole premise of that movie is that. Uh, there is a meteorologist, this is from 1994, uh, Bill Murray is a meteorologist, he goes to Punxsutawney for the Groundhog Day Festival, and he gets stuck in this day, and he has to live this day over and over and over, and the filmmakers say he's doing it for thousands of years. Now for us, I, when I was a kid, I thought, oh, he's just doing it for six weeks, because that makes sense, but no, they say he's doing it for thousands of years, and he goes through these iterations. If you haven't seen this movie, I, it's one of the best movies ever made, it's a, it's a great movie. Uh, but he goes through all these iterations of first kind of acceptance, then de- denial of it, uh, then he just does whatever he wants, then he tries to earn his way out of it, and nothing works. And in the end of it, I'm going to spoil the movie, he gets out of it. Uh, in the end of it, yeah, it's, it's 26 years old, so deal with that. Uh, he, he, uh, he gets out of it when he finally stops trying to get out of it. When he, in the end, he is good and caring of all the people in the town, not because he's trying to earn his way out, and he's desperately trying to earn his way out after a while. And then he keeps trying to just, uh, like, destroy himself. He keeps jumping off of buildings and electrocuting himself to just try to end it, and it never works. He always comes back. And then finally, in the last day, there's nothing. He doesn't win the girl. I mean, he does, but that's not the reason why. It, it's not very clear. And the movie doesn't really give you a clear ending, and then you have to realize that it, it's finally when he just stops trying to earn something and just accepts that the most fulfilled life is one, if I could take some liberties, in which we love kindness, we do justice, and we walk humbly with God. The goal of what we're here for It's not to earn something. It's not to be better than other people. It's not to win the awards and get all the lollipops. It's to recognize that God is with us and God loves us. When we stop trying to earn stuff and be great, then we can start trying to notice other people. The reason why in Micah God is so frustrated with our offerings is because our offerings are about us and trying to save ourselves. They are not about God and they are not about others. Jesus is leveling the playing ground at the very beginning of this sermon to say, blessed is everybody. And he's doing it in a subtle way. All the people who struggle with stuff, you don't have to raise your hands. You know who you are. All the people who have doubts, you know who you are. All the people who are sad inside, you know who you are. All the people who are dealing with stuff that you don't want people to know about, you know who you are. All the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness in a way that you want this world to be better, but in a way that you do not know how to fix it. And it crushes you. 
you know who you are. And then at the end, blessed are you, he turns it around and does get declarative. When people persecute you because of me. Because people are going to say this is dumb. People are going to say, why should I be nice to people if they're just going to be mean to me? Why should I make peace with people who are warriors, who are, who are hurting us? Why should I show mercy to someone who has none for me? But Jesus says, have joy. Be glad. Because things are going to be okay. When we see that treasure stored up in heaven, we need to recognize that that's... Uh, um, the idea that, well, we just need to suck it up because everything's going to be great later is not really what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, basically, uh, to paraphrase it, uh, and I, I, this is a paraphrase of someone who, who told me this, and I think it's so good, that everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. So when Jesus says, your treasure is being stored up in heaven, it's saying that one day you will receive the kingdom of heaven. One day things will be good. Not in a way, again, of us saying, well, all this suffering I'm doing is going to be pay off one day, and they're all going to deal with it, and I'm going to be sitting on this pile of gold. No. That God is going to fix this. That this suffering won't last forever. That whether it's six more weeks or six more decades, winter will end. That life will come back. And so trust in God. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with God. Because tomorrow is coming. But today has enough worry of its own. Amen.